Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Actually, I thought, oh, leave it to Ray to pick a song that makes me have to reflect. Um... But this is a this is a this is a time that really calls for a reflection, right? What does it mean to what does it mean to serve the Lord? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? And we're gonna we're gonna think about that in terms of trusting in the Lord in the midst of times of anger. And I don't know about y'all, but I've been angry a lot lately. And trying to figure out what is righteous anger and what is selfish and destructive anger has not always been easy. So we're going we're gonna to look to Jesus and Jesus' human moment in the temple. And I, I think Jesus is going to tell us much about how we as humans can manage our anger and do it in a way that leads to transformation Instead of destruction. So here now, the Gospel of John, chapter 2. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it is written, passion for your house consumes me. And the Jewish leaders asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. What breaks your heart? Some of you recognize that question. Some of you have sat down with me and had what we call the four questions conversation in which I ask four questions, and that's one of them. What breaks your heart? And the idea behind those conversations are to get to the passions of my people. To learn what it is that is motivating you and driving you. That is making you a committed person of faith. Or to find what it is that you need to connect. But honestly, that question is meant to tap into... What makes you angry? What is so infuriating to you that it breaks your heart? Because the truth of the matter is, anger can be a great motivator. Anger can be useful, but it can also be destructive. So, as I was preparing this week's sermon, I I thought, well, let's look at the scriptures. Let's see what 
guidance the scriptures give us. And interestingly, while we might characterize this passage as a passage in which Jesus is very angry. I mean, he makes a whip. He drives out livestock. He turns over tables and casts away money and yells at people. I mean, I think it would be reasonable to say he's angry, right? Except that the word for to be angry in Greek is not used here. That word is orgizomai, and I, I looked to see where it shows up in the New Testament, and it, it shows up in two interesting ways. One, it shows up when we express it, and then it shows up when God expresses it. And, and to be honest, when we express it, it is destructive. We use it to cut someone off from the family. That's, that's the word used for the elder brother in the prodigal story. He's angry, and he won't come to the party. And then it is also the word that Jesus warns us about. Don't be angry with your brother in the Sermon on the Mount. But that's Jesus reflecting on the commandment, do not murder. Don't even be angry because Jesus recognizes that anger is what drives us to murder. Anger is what kills among us. And so we should not practice orgizomai. Now, it is used in reference to God as well, or at least in metaphors that represent God. And it's reserved for those who reject God's hospitality. It's used in the parable of the banquet. When people are invited to the banquet and they refuse the invitation, and the the Lord's response is anger. And then it's used for those who try to keep others excluded from God trying to keep others outside of the family of God. And God's reaction isn't pretty. It's pretty powerful, dramatic, one might even say destructive response. So what word is used here? It's the word that we got in our translation is passion. You have passion for the house, right? Well, that, pa- that word for passion in Greek is zealous. That is a Greek word. I don't know if you knew that, but that, that comes from the Greek and has made its way into our language. And it is zealous. Jesus was zealous for the house of the Lord. And, and zealotry can also be destructive. If someone is zealous and it has made them jealous, actually, that they covet something of someone else, that that's created that kind of, of, of anger, then it's not viewed in, neg- in positive terms, but in negative terms. Or if it's driven by selfish aims, or if it's, again, directed at keeping people out of the community, then to be zealous is not a positive thing. But if it is a passion about overturning unjust systems, or if it is a passion about protecting or expanding the community of God, making the family as open as possible, or if it is a passion for the gospel, for the story, then it is a positive thing and is something that we should, in fact, practice. And when we, when we talk about Jesus being fully human, I think Jesus here in this moment has come to show us that 
that we can channel anger, that anger does have transformative power. And that, that channeled into transformation can be a good thing. If we are zealous for change, if we are zealous for overturning those unjust systems, which is exactly what Jesus was doing here. I mean, very literally, he's overturning systems, right? When flipping over the tables. But he, in fact, is just coming at the idea that the temple has become a place of economic exploitation. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing that there were people there who could sell uh, livestock for for, um, worship or who could exchange money so that gifts could be given. Um, There are people coming from all over the place. It's not always easy to travel with animals. So being able to get an animal when you're there is fine. But what what was sometimes happening is that people would bring animals and then then people would say, oh, that's a blemished animal. You're going to have to now buy this better animal. And... Or they were ripping them off on the exchange rates. Um, They were doing things that were exploiting people because they were at a moment where they couldn't say no, basically. And in particular, they were exploiting the most poor and vulnerable among us. And that's what Jesus is challenging. That's what Jesus is overturning. That's why Jesus is angry, is zealous for a new way of being. Now, interestingly, the temple authority's response first is to question Jesus' authority, but ultimately it is to make plans to kill him. This is the moment in the fullness of the gospel story that we have. This is the moment when the temple authorities decide this guy has to go. And so they respond to Jesus' zealousness with orgizomai. They are so angry as to wish to commit murder. This weekend, we honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And Dr. King understood the value of such fire. He understood that passion was needed to overturn systems. That you couldn't just kick back and things would change. That justice could not be attained without energy behind it. In fact, the quote that we have on the front of our bulletin today says the, it's quoting Dr. King and it says, the supreme task is to organize and unite people so that their anger becomes a transforming force. But Dr. King also recognized the careful balance that was needed in anger and the temptation for it to be a dangerous thing. He is also quoted as saying, because if you have only anger, the anger will paralyze you. You cannot do anything constructive. It cannot be driven by anger alone. I I looked at a story that came out from NPR a couple of years ago in which they were interviewing Bernice King, um, one of Dr. King's children, and she talked about the fact that anger almost derailed all of Dr. King's work, his own anger. He was a high school student. He'd gone to a competition with a teacher of his. They were on their way back from that competition. He was in a celebratory mood. He'd done really well. Imagine that, Dr. King doing well in, a, in an oratory con- uh, contest. Um, but two white people got on the bus, and the bus driver not only made 
he and his teacher vacate their seats, but cursed at them while they did it. And it was a 90-mile bus ride back to Atlanta. And he got more and more angry. In fact, uh, Bernice said that he would describe it as the angriest he has ever been. And she said it almost made her father hate white people. But instead, he took that anger at that injustice and recognized if it, was, if it was aimed at the good, if it was not turned in a direction of harm of others, but if it was turned in the direction of systems, if it was taking on what was broken among us and done with love, even when it's done passionately, especially when it's done passionately, that then real transformation could happen. Life is always a balance of taking that which edges on hate and transforming it into creating change. Of course, ultimately, Dr. King also fell victim to murderous anger. Ultimately, a man who was zealous for full inclusion was killed by a man overrun with orgizomai. Um, my family, since 1998, has had a kind of personal um, attachment, or there, there's, a, there's a special meaning to this weekend for us, um, because in 1998, the day after Martin Luther King's birthday, we went to trial, finally. Um, it had been a three-year journey from in, when in 1995, my father had called me on my second day of my senior year of college and my brother's second day of his freshman year of college and told us that he had been fired from the company that he'd worked for for 21 years. We were not surprised. We knew it was coming because my father had hired the first two African-Americans to work in non-menial positions in the company's history and the bosses had made it clear they were not happy. And ultimately they fired my father as well as the two African-Americans. And my father, knowing that that was unjust, filed a lawsuit. We were the first people in Arkansas to file discrimination due to association. It was a landmark lawsuit in, in the state of Arkansas. But it did take three years to come to trial. And part of the reason that it took so long is that the systems that we meant to dismantle fought back furiously. Of course, the people in the company fought back. But also, I mean, there were just so many things piled on top of us. My, my dad had gone to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, to see if they would take the case because my dad was getting buried in legal fees. He was going broke from it. And so he went to the EEOC to see if they would investigate and help defray some of that cost. And they were very interested and they took it up. And then it was, you know, the 1990s and the government didn't get along. Imagine that. Um, and Congress and the president were fighting about the budget and the government shut down. And the EEOC was non-essential. So they shut down and those lawyers got other jobs. So reopened, went back to the EEOC, a new lawyer started the investigation. There was another government shutdown. That lawyer left, took another job. 
And my dad said, we can't keep waiting on the EEOC. We have to take this to trial. So it was in that week uh, that we finally went to trial and we spent four days arguing that racial discrimination is wrong. That is wrong. And ultimately, the other side came to my dad and said, we're going to give you, we're going to offer you this settlement and you should take it because you're going to win. You've proven your case, but we will bury you in appeals and we will kill you with the stress of what is to come. We had tried to stay on the side of zealousness. And I'll admit, we weren't always, always there. Sometimes that selfish desire of anger rushed in on us and we just wanted the big payout. But then we would remember, we're here for change. We're doing this to make a difference. And in the face of that zealousness, we were met with orgasm. And I, and my dad ultimately decided to take the settlement, but he did so because he said it's public record now. It's public record. And maybe someone else can take up the fight. And someone else did. The EEOC did do some investigation and there were some changes made at the company. But not the sweeping change we had all hoped for. And still yet, still yet we would choose it we would choose that path we would choose it because we were passionate about that change and that's why one of the other questions that I ask in that four questions conversation is if you could do anything if there were no limitations what would you do and I want to share in the course of having I've had about a hundred of those conversations now in a course of that Five people have said, specifically said, I would transform the criminal justice system. And I thought, there's probably no, no better way to honor the work of Dr. King than to look at issues around criminal justice. And so tomorrow, those five people are meeting by Zoom. And we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work and moving. And that passion that is lit in those five people can do transformation. If that's your passion too, get in touch with me and I'll share the Zoom for you to be part of that conversation. Because we are meant to be zealous people. We are meant to be people who are agents of transformation. And I can think of no better way to honor the legacy of Dr. King than to be zealous for change and transformation, especially that which includes the marginalized and seeks equity and equality. And I can think of no better way to be followers of Jesus Christ than to be zealous for that kind of love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo 
at FUMC Bentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.